Well, welcome everybody to uh, this week's episode of the Storied Podcast. It's uh, me and Ruben here again. We're going to talk um, our first harvests, what got us into hunting and talk like that. But I guess we'll start this just like what we're going to do right now on, you know, is um, kind of share a wild game meal that we had this week and start that way. You take it off, Ruben. Well, um, I can't say uh, what I actually had because it was the same thing I said in the last episode. I just had pronghorn tacos <laughs> again right before this. But yesterday, um, I threw in an elk shank into the crock pot after I, uh, you know, defrosted it, salt, pepper, oregano, some garlic powder, and uh, browned it in a skillet. And then toss in a crock pot with a whole jar of pepperoncini peppers over it and the juice and a sliced up red onion and uh, let that sucker go on high for about six hours uh, while I was out scouting for turkeys and uh, helping my girlfriend uh, shoot a gun and try to get her uh, ready to maybe... uh, she did turkey later on. She just finished Hunter de- Hunter's Ed. So um, we let that cook and then uh, got back and had some of that nice slow-cooked elk shank. And it's really good. Nice Italian flavor. Um, what did, you ser- did you serve it over or anything? We didn't think that far ahead, so the side was not uh, very impressive. It was just like uh, one of those instant <laughs> uh, broccoli rice deals. Uh, but had that with that. Yeah, that's, and, that's good, Yeah, too. I mean, like... The one thing that I will say about that is generally when I do that, I like to slow cook it on low for like 10 hours. And I feel like I, it was good. It was tender, but I feel like I noticed compared to the slow, slow cook on lower temperature, that collagen, the connective tissue stuff, like it wasn't like tough or anything, but it was just more, it was still like a gelatinous little thing whereas when you do it on slow for longer it just completely disappears and it's just like in the meat and in the broth so it's i wish i knew the temperature on that because there there's a like a magic switch of like when that starts to break down and how long but yeah that's that's a sweet process but i mean when you make when you make a shank an elk shank like that that's a couple pounds of meat (laughs) That's quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Um, that's true. Yeah, we had that, and I got a bunch of leftovers. And uh, normally, I eat off of that kind of yep. stuff for you know quite quite a while, a few days of the week. What you have? That's the thing. Yeah, lunches, lunches for the whole week. Yeah, um, I tested this week. Um, I met a guy from West Virginia, and he gave me, um, I guess, yeah, to rewind this. One of my favorite things in the world is deer heart or Elkhart or anything, you know, we've had this conversation and we got a whole family recipe that I don't know if really can be beaten, but so I, this guy was bragging up this deer heart recipe. So I'm like, I'm going to try that this week. So that's what I had. It was kind of more of a, yeah, it called for ketchup, mustard, Worcestershire sauce with red peppers yellow pepper, cayenne, salt pepper, some mushrooms in there and an onion. And pretty much with that, I did that. I cut it up small, really cleaned up that heart. Nice for guy to get all those, uh, I don't know, arteries and veins and that tissue off. That's pretty chewy. 
ground it, added all that in, kind of, kind of let it, it's let it simmer, simmer, and then I pulled a can of Grandma's potatoes from the garden out and kind of served it over that. But it was good, but maybe not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, it was good. It was worth a try. What was that uh? What was the heart again? What do you say it was? Elk or deer? Ah, uh, deer heart. Deer. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah we get a lot of not a lot of people. My mom and dad they eat their deer hearts, but a lot of our family doesn't, and so we get a lot of them during deer season dropped off. So my dad gave me I think like five of them. <laughs> so nice. I'm like, oh, I got some to spare, and then I got I still got my cousin's elk heart that I probably should give to him, but all selfishly. Yeah, that, I told him that this week. That heart is dense meat, <laughs> man. I mean, it, I feel full after I eat heart. That's some good stuff. That, yeah, like I said, that's my favorite favorite thing. I don't know if there's like a spiritual connect, connection. And then also it's, I don't know, it's just, I remember growing up, it's kind of one of those things that just reminds me of hunting. Yeah, I didn't start eating. You're successful if you got a deer heart and if you're yeah. cooking, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't start eating deer hearts until probably five years ago, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what you been up to? I, what, what were you up to this past weekend? Did you get out at all into the woods out there? I was, yeah, yeah. This last weekend, I kind of, you know, I've never been a big fan of turkey hunting. Never did it too much. Never been a big fan of got... turkey hunting. What? No, I'm saying I never really did. That's why I took yeah. you. And but now you kind of got me in a different <laughs> mindset. That's what I'm clarifying. Um, and yeah, I went out on our family property. We just got. I don't know, three, four inches of snow. I know northern uh, Tom Lake Tomahawk got 15 this last week. Ouch. <laughs> and we still got snow on the ground, but I wanted to get out there and get a few cameras hanging on some pinch points and uh, kind of some, um, uh, whatchamacall, uh, strutting zones where the turkeys usually are. So I hung some cameras out there, and hopefully, you know, I can take me and my dad third season. I think we got tags for in Wisconsin and try to shoot a wisconsin bird too but that's kind of all i did and then help mom and dad with the house. what's uh what is how about yourself what is third season what part of the year oh may 10th i think it's third season third or fourth i think yeah the, the may 10th season because it's just the over-the-counter i didn't put in for the um the draws like you do in wisconsin you gotta draw i think the first three to four season or whatever i'm sure they have a kind of a threshold as as many permits they give out just to you know, give a little, um, give a little, not so much stress on those breeding hens during that time. I'm sure they live at limit harvest numbers or permit numbers, but yeah. So just the over the counter seasons and in one of the zones in Wisconsin. So we'll see, hopefully we can do that. That'll be interesting. That's here to come. We'll make another story of our own, but how about yourself? Yeah, I was, um, I got, so we, we had once again, really, really nasty, uh, late winter, early spring kind of stuff, which I mean, it's April already. And where I was out scouting for turkeys got six inches two days ago. Um, and it's just been cold, man. Uh, but I was able to get out and, uh, cover some spots that I was suspecting had turkeys and some spots I know have turkeys and just checking up and, um, 
I found some turkeys. I uh, got one, one to gobble back. Not that I was trying to call out a turkey if I knew it was there, but I was out, you know, just trying to strike one up from a, a point. And this one was actually quite a ways up the mountain, a little more than I expected. What did you use? Did you... Did you crow call or anything? Nah, I just used the slate. I was just using a, yeah, hemi elk, which, you know, don't really want to educate them on the calls and everything. But at the same time, I was just trying to figure out where they are and then get out of there. Um, But that turkey was considerably further up the mountain than I thought they would be with, like, this type of uh, melt-off we've had lately. There's still quite a bit of snow, but it was about 600 feet up from the valley floor, which, I mean... Mm -hmm. Is like up one of your bluffs over there, <laughs> top yep. bottom. Well, bigger. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I drove around a lot and uh, looking at access points. Um, half the spots I went to did not have turkeys. Half did. Uh, and then I got my girlfriend out there to have a field day. She just finished Hunter's Ed and hadn't really shot. So she was kind of, you know... Had some trepidations about shooting, a little nervous about it. What do you, what do you have her shooting? Uh, started out with a twenty-two. Um, okay. And then uh, for twenty gauge, you mean? Huh? Oh yeah, just a twenty-two to get to know the pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like she really hasn't shot much okay. at all, so I just you know everything about handling, yeah. lining up, safety, all that. Um, start mm-hmm. out with a twenty-two so that it's you know easy to shoot, no recoil that kind of stuff. She's a pretty good shot, actually. And then I let her shoot the 7mm08. You better watch out then. Yeah. Yeah. Sharp shooter. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, the problem is that the I got a 870 Wingmaster, and it's a little bit big for her to hold comfortably, so I might have to try to scrounge up a 20-gauge somewhere before season starts um, and pattern that sucker and see how far, how far out you could shoot a turkey with it um so i'm gonna be asking friends if they have any spare guns around it's mostly the stock you know the stock length it's kind of hard and i wonder if like a lot of women run into this like just being shorter in general and like you know like when you're holding the gun i would imagine when you're holding the gun between you know your hands on the the pump and your hand other hands on the grip and it's in your shoulder like Fits pretty nice when you have a wingspan of six foot, but kind of like extended out. And when you got that kind of kick with a gun too, it's like you don't you're not as stable. So hopefully find something a little bit smaller. But yeah, so good weekend of uh doing some preliminary scouting of new areas, checking up on old areas and uh getting the guns out to shoot some. Yeah, there you go. Your season starts two weeks, or Saturday. Yeah, two Saturdays from now, so uh, okay. that's not far away at all. And finally, finally, it's going to be like 60 degrees this coming weekend. So Yeah. Spring is here, hopefully. Hopefully. But, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so speaking about that, I mean, first time getting out there, do you remember a first time? That's what we're going to talk tonight today about is our, our firsts, you know, breaking the cherry. I don't know if I can say that, but, <laughs> but or whatever. I, the first time out in the woods harvesting an animal and I guess what kept us with it and the whole um, story on that. But I think 
I'll have you go first, Ruben. You want me to go first? Yeah, if you want to. I mean. Yeah, I've got a. Oh, shoot. I think that. um, So the first time I ever went. Well, let's start from the very beginning here. I um, hadn't been, you know, hunting at all. Didn't even really have any interest in hunting or know what it was until I forget how old I was. Um, My great uncle, my dad's uncle, Jerome, passed away. And uh, my uh, dad and his parents and, well, his dad and uh, his brothers and other relatives would go back and hunt this area in northern Wisconsin, which we still hunt today. And uh, when Jerome passed... Uh, we, we hiked back to where they used to hunt in like the late seventies, early eighties, you know, um, way down this logging road past this red gate, about two miles in there. I think they used to be able to drive back there, but since it's, it's managed forest law now. So the Timberland company put a gate in cause people are kind of trashing the place. Hopefully not my folks, but, uh, <laughs> they didn't want any vehicle use in there. So we were hiking all the way back to get this uh, birch tree um, to plant down in uh, our yard back home as like, you know, a little memorial thing for uh, Jerome back by his deer stand. He he was the best, about the best hunter out of the whole group as far as like consistency. He would pretty much shoot a buck almost every year out of this stand. And it's interesting because he stands, well, it wasn't a stand, uh, these, these guys... They all di- they all dug foxholes, so they they would dig holes in the ground and be like eye level on the edge of like a little you know valley or something. They would gun rifle hunt out. Yeah, of on the ground. Yeah, in a foxhole. Wow. Yeah, like like they're veterans, <laughs> right. I guess, or someone. They like it's like wartime. Let's let's go kill these deer. Yeah. <laughs> dig a bunker, deer yeah. coming. <laughs> but um, and honestly, that's the same way we still hunt. Uh, up there, I I always sit on the. I, I hardly ever hunt from a tree stand when I'm gun hunting. I just post up against a tree. Um, Why? That's because it's so thick there, right? Yeah, you, a tree probably would help out quite a bit because you can see further. But I don't know. I I don't know why we hunt on the ground. That's just, just how we do it's it. It's just tradition. Um. <laughs> so, anyways, back to the story. We hiked back there with this wheelbarrow to grab this this tree, and. Uh, I'd really never known what was the whole deal with hunting. And, and so now what time of year this was, was this? In the fall. This was like September. Cause I remember we were camping up at the Carroll Lake campground state park. And, uh, and that was, there's a little ways from where we're at with, our, with where we're going to get the tree. But, um, I remember that was also really interesting to me now that I think about it. Someone had a doe strung up in the state park who was bow hunting. It was opener bow. So it was in September. Um, and so we went back there and I started asking a bunch of questions about this, that, and the other. And like, I've always been super interested in just wildlife and catching snakes, frogs, lizards, all that kind of stuff, playing in creeks. And it seemed super interesting to me. So I started asking a lot of questions to my dad. Next thing you know, you know, I'm trying to go to Hunter's Ed, get my hunter's safety and everything. So we did that, and I think the first year, I just sat with my dad. I think I was 12 or 13. I just sat with my dad, and it was miserable. We had uh, we had two days. We didn't see a single deer. We saw like 40 turkeys, and this is on this was on our property. This wasn't back where we got the tree from, but it had just snowed like, I don't know, a foot or so before opening day that year, 
And then it got up to like 40 degrees. So we were sitting under like melting trees with snow and it was just like a wet cold. And we sat out there pretty much all day for two days. And my dad thought that he was ruining me to it. And I thought it was awesome. I was like, just I'm edging my seat the <laughs> whole time. Like, where's this deer going to come out of man? And, uh, and so, uh, the next year I got to actually, uh, hunt in the spring. I started actually my first hunt ever was a turkey hunt. And, uh, we hunted turkeys that spring and then we went deer hunting that fall. And, um, I actually missed quite a few deer. We found out later that the scope on that rifle, uh, was pretty loose. Um, and that was, that was corroborated by my dad too. That's not just me saying that. But so I had hunted a couple of times. I had some misses and hadn't had success yet. So this would have been 2007, 2008, maybe. We went up there and um, we. How old were you at this point? I think I'm 14. I'm pretty sure I was 14. 14, Okay. And uh, we go up there, you know day before opener because you know we we lived in the chicagoland area so we're driving up four and a half hours to the north woods of wisconsin to you know get ready for deer on friday go out there set up our chairs on the trees and everything you know which now it's like day before i don't know but um and then you know we're getting up the next morning hiking back in there and we're going you know i would say we go further than most people up there in wisconsin on opener like we're hiking back two miles to where we're hunting i don't know a lot of wisconsin boys who hike that far at all during the season but what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, you're, you're <laughs> no, an exception yeah yeah i agree so we we hike back there and you know we're sitting dawn to dusk and i'm sitting in jerome's blind like where this foxhole is right and i'm uh sitting there's the you know there's a shooting lane to the front and to the left, there's another shooting lane, and there's an old logging trail that's getting overgrown, and that connects back about mm, 600 yards to where my dad's sitting on the edge of this meadow. And there's a couple of hills between us, a couple of travel routes, and northern the area we're hunting up there is um, very poor soils, and so there is a lot of jack pine, white pine, uh, aspen, and the whole understory is pretty much hazelnut and thick and a lot of blackberry too, briars. I mean, and then you got, and do they manage, manage that public land there timber harvest wise? So they cut that and it's clear cut type stuff or. Yeah. So a little while after my dad's folks stopped hunting up there and I I don't know exactly the years here, sometime in the eighties, I think maybe early nineties. Um, the, the timber company harvested it. So this is like, 20-ish year old regenerating aspen with a few pockets of white pines and then it's on the edges of these swamps this is one reason that there's quite a few deer back here is this is kind of like a 80 acres that's surrounded on three sides by you know a spruce swamp and um mm-hmm. so it's really thick country it really would help to be in a tree stand because it's only thick up to your head then you can see forever I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to see. You don't get, you don't get more than like, uh, if you could find a place to take a hundred yard shot up there, that'd be pretty impressive. I think that meadow might be one where you could almost reach a hundred across, but I'm sitting in a, in a little foxhole 
straight out ahead of me is probably 60 yard max shot. Like you could bow hunt this for sure. And then to my left is like, you know, 30, 40 yards. Maybe you could shoot on this trail. So I think that my dad dropped me off first in the morning before light and continued on over to the meadow to sit. And I'm sitting there and, um, it's your typical, you know, Wisconsin opener up North there. It's like crisp in the morning. I think it was, it wasn't super cold. I can't remember quite, but it was definitely a hard frost, you know, like a late November day. And then, you know, the sun comes up and it's kind of that hollow sound, a little crisp. You get a raving calling and it echoes everywhere. And, and then gunshots. Oh yeah. And everywhere. then, you know, World War III breaks out <laughs> as soon as, you know, shooting time hits. There's always one guy though, that starts shooting off shots like three in a row, like 20 minutes before shooting light for some odd reason. I don't know. I'm pretty sure someone comes out of his cabin, hung over in his long john still comes up and just shoots one in the sky and goes back. Yeah. It's like bed. starting the race. It's like, here we go. boys. <laughs> yep, all right. Yeah. Wisconsin uh, deer camp culture there. Um, yep. That is history. It is. So, so I'm sitting there and I'm like pretty, I'm pretty excited. I'm always excited when I'm hunting, but like, you know, I've never even killed one before. And last year we saw a lot of deer and I'd never made it happen. I'm using my dad's 3030 lever action Glenfield Marlin with a scope on it, which uh, the scope is way too big for the range capabilities of that gun, but that's fine. And, um, it's got a tubular magazine and those lever actions, man, you can go John Wayne with those. You, those things cycle really nice. The Rifleman. Oh, yeah. There there was a Western, the Rifleman, with a lever action like that. Yeah, well, True Grit. But, you see, know, from I mean, True Grit, yeah. where he's with, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would have needed a more round uh, lever for that to be able to spin, you know, mm-hmm. when he's riding the horse. But, no, I had this lever action. Yeah. And one reason I was using it, it had less kick than my dad had a, a 308 he just bought. So, uh, and it's a smaller gun. So, you know, I'm 14 at the time. <laughs> we were just talking about how long guns might be difficult for people with less wingspan. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if we were, really, I, I don't think I saw a deer like all day up to the point where things started to happen. Like, I'm pretty sure that I sat there from like whatever shooting light is in that time of year, like seven something probably until it was like one or two in the afternoon. And I think, uh, a doe, yeah, a doe came out up on the little ridge in front of me and she was standing there. And at this point I have a buck tag and I have a doe tag with the youth. I think it's because I was a youth. I got an extra doe permit as a youth hunter. And, um, so this doe comes out and I'm getting ready and she stops behind this tree and is just standing there. And then she's just standing there for like, as long as I can remember, she's like, it was a long time. And I'm like, I got my gun on her the whole time. And she's just not moving, looking around. And, um, oh, also I had started to not feel the greatest earlier on in the day. Um, getting a little like cold sweats, a little, you know, a little sickish. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what this is. But anyways, it's getting later in the day. This deer comes out and standing there and I'm like waiting and waiting. I'm like, all you got to do is take, you know, one step forward. And because it's like the tree is right behind her shoulder covering it. 
So I'm like, well, she seems pretty calm, not noticing me. Like I had no clue about wind really back then. So I, I probably would have started to yeah. be a little more nervous if I didn't know, you know, if the wind was going to swirl in there, but I don't know. She could have stood there for 20 minutes for all I know. But, um, then I hear over to my right down in this edge of the swamp, a, a buck snort. I'm like, Oh, here, here comes a buck probably. So then I hear some like, like a snort, like crack. a, pfft. no, like a snort weed. Oh, yeah, a grunt, grunt, yeah, not a, a grunt. snort weed. Right, yeah. Yeah, 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 a grunt. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I like never really heard that before, but I knew kind of what, what that was. So, yeah. uh, I hear the, I hear his feet start, you know, through that, you know, the undergrowth. It's all those dead Aspen leaves that fall right on the edge of, uh, the spruce swamp and those low hanging spruce branches that just kind of like echoes in there when they walk in that hollow swamp. It's like, chick, 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 chick. And so I look to my right and I see movement and then there's another patch of trees. And I guess that I knew enough to, you know, move my gun over when he was behind the trees. And I kind of stopped paying attention to the doe. Cause I was like, uh, you know, I'm gonna shoot this buck. And he comes out and, um, massive massive northern wisconsin buck he's got one on one side and kind of a fork on the other man it's just like the biggest <laughs> thing ever and so he comes out and he's just you know full-on neck out nose to the ground and i'm like oh this is sweet so he starts walking and i'm on him and i pull that lever back because it's a lever you know the those lever actions they have the hammer is the safety you know you have to load it and then you touch the trigger and put it halfway for the safety. So then you just pull the lever back to make it live. And I did that and I'm lined up and I squeeze off a shot. Boom. And that buck just hits the deck. And I'm like, okay, I got a doe tag. Where's that one going? I freaking cycle that gun. She's, I think she might've taken one bound and stopped. I shoot. She takes a bound. It's running at me. I shoot again. So that's three shots. And then I think I, I think I shot all five shots. The last shot, she like went down the valley because, you know, she's in this hollow and it's so loud, so close. She doesn't know where that that shot is coming from. It's too loud to like place where it is. Mm-hmm. And so she's running at me. I think I missed her like straight on at like 20 yards. And then she saw me and turned broadside at like 15 and I shot her and then she fell over dead like 10 yards from me. And so now I got two deer on the ground. <laughs> And I'm totally out of shells and I'm looking back up and I don't, I don't see the buck that I shot. So I'm standing there. Oh no, I think I did. I think he raised his head and looked at me and then like it fell back over. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait here. I didn't want to reload cause I didn't want to start making noise and stuff. I wanted to just let him, you know, die. And all of a sudden yeah. to my left, I hear footsteps and I turn over and my dad's there and he's like, well, what happened? And he must've been just walking over for like to check on me or something. Like he had oh, already, shoot. he had already been walking my way when I started, you know, shooting up the woods when he was like, I don't know, pretty close. So he comes up to me and he's like, what happened? And I'm like, shh. He's like, what? I'm pointed out to the buck. I'm like, shh, I'm waiting for it to die. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, and I'm like, I got two. He's like, what? I'm like, I got a doe right here. <laughs> She's dead. That one's not. <laughs> and yeah. I don't have any more bullets in my gun. <laughs> and he's like, oh, and we're looking at this buck and it keeps lifting his head and it's lifting its head enough where it's like, you know, 
his ears are still pointing at us and stuff. So it's he's not like, yeah, he's I'm kind of like, now. okay. He, and this has been like five minutes now since I shot him. So my dad's like, I think I have to go like finish that buck off. So he walked up there and he had to shoot it in the neck again. Cause actually what happened was, I don't know why the, you know, deer normally know how to run on three legs, but I just hit the one forward leg, a little forward shot and hit him like low shoulder and kind of like just totally yeah. blew his leg. Like, you know, it was still on his body, but it was totally useless. So he was down, yeah. but he wasn't getting up. I don't know why I've seen deer run on three legs. Fine. I wonder if that bone shock was enough. That thirty thirty probably had so much power behind it <laughs> that like that shock, he probably kind of, I don't know, somehow sent him down. You know, they could have been shrapnel somehow into any somewhere yeah. or somewhere in the body, but, but yeah, yeah, so he went and shot it in the neck. And, um, so then there we were and I had just shot not one, but two deer in about 20 seconds. And, uh, then after, uh, after that wore off for a second, I was like, wow, I really don't feel good. And, we're going into gutting these deer and we're not good at it. Like by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I think that my dad's only got a couple deer in his life up to this point. And, uh, and you know, I'm not much of a help at all. Cause I've never done it. It starts to get dark and I'm starting to feel really bad. I don't know if I threw up back there or not, but anyways, we, we, I think we loaded the dough onto our game cart that we had and we're hauling it out and it's dark by this point. And I'm starting to like hallucinate a little bit. Like I think there's wolves around and stuff and I'm just kind of being weird. And I remember, I think we were going over a, uh, a log in the uh, plastic wheel. Of the game car broke and wow. there's no snow and it's like really sandy soil up there. And it's like dragging a deer on that for two miles. That's pretty rough. So yeah. somehow there was another hunter back there and he had a game cart and I don't think he had killed a deer. So I would have to ask my dad the specifics on this, but pretty much I think what happened was he lent us the game cart for that night. I got out of there. I get back with like 101 fever. I have pneumonia. And so I'm sick as a dog in bed. And, um, I think the cotter pin to his game cart fell out or something. There's a lot of things I don't remember because I was in a daze. But all I know is the next morning, for some reason, my dad had to go back into town, get a cotter pin for this guy's game cart, go back out there and get my other deer and haul it back. So he would have done like, you know, six miles with a deer. Oh. And um, and I was sick of the Poor dog. Stan Fry. Yeah. And then... Wouldn't you know it? I got enough energy in me to get a picture with the two of them. He put them in the back of his Honda Civic with the trunk open. And there I am. As a dog <laughs> next to these two dead deer. The first deer I want to see this picture. Oh, we should post I don't know it. if I've ever yeah. seen that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For it's, sure. it's a good picture. I look pretty rough off, but there, there you go. I got, <laughs> I got my John Wayne on and, uh, Couple, couple of unsuccessful hunts leading up to this, and then uh, made up for it in that one. I guess I, my dad had to do quite a bit of that work, um, but uh, wheeling and dealing and shooting deer, I guess. And I was pretty, pretty ecstatic about that. The next week at high school, I was like freshman year of high school, I think, and uh, 
You were the kid probably down in suburb, suburban Chicago. I was the weird kid. Nobody down there hunts. Everybody thought yeah, I true. was going to be like a serial killer when I grew up. Yeah. So, like, I think that it was actually concerning to teachers when I was telling all these. <laughs> I actually printed off pic. This is the day before, like, fo- I didn't have a cell phone. I printed off pictures to take to school to show people my dead deer. I I think that I did the yeah. same thing. That was, like, we never had phones. Yeah. And I, I think yeah, that that really it off or... that really concerned some of the staff at the high school because they are not at all that's... exposed to hunting. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Mom, if you shot something good, mom would bring out the good photo paper <laughs> to put into the printer to print on. Nice. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my uh, that was my first yeah. harvest and. Um, I think we ended up bringing those deer to a game processor back then because we didn't do our stuff. And kind of as I, I don't forget the first time that we did that, but it was only a couple, three years that we were doing it, bringing to a meat processor until we figured out to, you know, how to butcher everything ourselves and package it and whatnot. And I mean, I haven't brought anything to a game processor since, you know, at least 10 years ago. Yeah. You got to start yeah. somewhere, right? We also, you know, didn't have the means for it at that point. I mean, we would have had to drive all the way back down to Illinois with them and then didn't really have a place to cut them up down there, at least not not ready. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we dropped them off at, uh, what was the name of that place? It was in Merrill off Highway K. Um, Ooh, Merrill, Wisconsin. Geises? No. I forget. I there's, there's some meat processor down there. You should have drove down to us and just dropped it yeah, off. Yeah, I would have known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, right. how's uh how's the first hunt on your side of things? I'm assuming it was down there in uh, your neck of the woods on your property there. Yeah. So yeah, going into a little bit more south, north central Wisconsin, the land of the glory. Um. Yeah. I don't know. We grew. I grew up on a. Nice family property down there that had this magnificent river bordering it. And then all the, tri- like one tributary kind of squared off our land somehow. It was pretty much the whole property line. But, you know, it was kind of cedar swamp slash balsam spruce swamps. And then he had highland oak maple slash we had a lot of hemlocks kind of associated in there. But yeah, I kind of got into the hunting same as you. Yeah, I was kind of uncertain about it at an early age. I know my dad always did it, but um, he finally got enough gusto or brainwashed me or something like that to start going out there hunting. So around 9 and 10, um, he took me out hunting for the first time, not with a firearm, just to go sit, just like you. And um, saw a bunch of deer, started getting into it, and... Um, you know, I used to, I remember one thing I remember my dad, he used to shoot, you know, his bow with luminary arrows and stuff. And he gave me a recurve when I was like 10 years old. And so I was out there with my recurve while he was shooting in the yard, you know, practice for going hunting. I was in there with my recurve, just flinging arrows. And we had one old garage bay and he had the, the target in there in the garage door in the frame of the garage door. And I remember I barely ever hit that target. I'd back up to 40 yards with my dad and my recurve and just be sailing <laughs> arrows, skipping them. <laughs> my dad would let me shoot. So I was off doing that. And 
And then finally, you know, went to Hunter Safety around that probably summer of being a probably just turned 12, you know, got my Hunter Safety. And then my dad finally, well, or he bought me my first um, compound bow. It was just a hand-me-down from um, Gary Wisebrod from Silgan. You ever work with him? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it was a hand-me-down. It was an old darting bow. You know, that's back when we never had cams. It was just the circular, I don't even know, true glow sight, I think it was. And then aluminum arrows, had aluminum arrows and all that stuff. Mismatched arrows, I would imagine. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and then he kind of set the standards. I was probably, you know, going in 12, 11. He's like, okay, you need to pull back this bow at 45 pounds. I think legal, what's legal, 40 pounds or something in Wisconsin? Somewhere around there, I think. So he's like, you got to pull back this bow. And he's like, I won't take you hunting if you can't hit this piece of duct tape at 20 yards. <laughs> so I couldn't pull back the bow, so he brought it down to me, I don't know, 35, 40. I was almost there. So every mo- I remember almost every day getting up, pulling back my bow, because he's like, keep doing it. You know, those muscles will get trained and stuff like that. So... I kept practicing pulling back my bow and then shooting. Dad taught me how to shoot and I was proficient enough to shoot. So I checked that off my list and then now it kind of went into that summer preparation for being 12 and in my first archery season, you know, September. Um, So I would go out there and scout with my dad. He, He ran, he ran these, we remember the, digital there no they were film cameras i remember he had three film cameras with flash with just the flash (laughs) and then he had one infrared like this remington black infrared camera but i remember the the flash digital or not flash uh um film cameras and so every time we'd go oh the film is full we'd go into walmart or walgreens and pay, I don't know, four or $5 and get this developed. And sometimes it was just a stick. <laughs> <laughs> just going back and forth, the whole thing roll. But so we we kind of scouted like that and went back to uh, this one good spot. Um, and yeah, we got some nice pictures of this one. I know this one nine point was coming and then he had a bunch of deer and stuff. So dad... Um, had these old cedar stands from the cedar woods. He'd take these 20 foot long, uh, probably like five, six inch diameter um, long cedar poles and then put boards across them and then a pallet somehow fastened to the tree. And that's what we hunted on. And he had them all over. (laughs) And so I hunted out of that with a little seat on and then he hung a double stand because I was 12 at this point. So I couldn't hunt by myself. Um, and then, um, so yeah, we hung that double set and got ready for, um, uh, opener. And this, this spot kind of consisted of, it was a natural funnel. It was between a small egg field to the North and then to the South was more of that cedar slash, um, balsam spruce type lowland stuff. And I mean, in the summer that is a mosquito fest and deer really don't go in there till that rut type wintering phase. But, um, so these deer would bed way off on this point along this river. 
and then they'd work their way all the way up this ravine out to this major food source and that's where the stand was type of painting scenario yeah so on opening morning we woke up and headed out and sat and we saw a few deer i know there was deer kind of moving around but they weren't really in range because at this point i would have probably shot anything but so this one four point we saw we saw this one little buck coming the old four corn wide ears wide you know past the ears i think it was <laughs> no i'm kidding he was maybe yeah that was his ears as tall as his ears that's yeah. uh, i think that's what it was but um so this deer was coming to be kind of in range so um he was coming on the back side of me kind of working his way back to that bedding spot where we i didn't know this at the time where they were bedding you know i was just out there sitting and having a good time but so he's working his way back to the bed and he was coming to this opening and dad's like get up get ready you know get get your feet set yeah i know i remember him telling me get your feet set right there's your lane he's coming this way so he's coming this way and i was i was ready and he passed he went into the lane and then he went out of the lane and then kept walking to his bed and me i think the one thing because he's like why didn't you shoot i'm like that was that was too far and he's like that was 25 yards away <laughs> and i'm like oh i don't know like first time being in a stand 20 feet up yeah. i remember him taking me and shooting out of stand you know getting my yardage and i remember when we used to go hunting early on he'd be like how far is that deer how far, you know stuff like that but it, to me it looked far so i didn't shoot and so it passed and so then we saw a few other deer and um closed up shop and probably went back and got lunch and headed out in the morning or in the evening sorry um to the same spot and so it was early i remember that same first deer we saw was at four point <laughs> and here he comes the same lane and so like i uh, like i like he said i got ready got in that lane and this time he was farther he was like 30 some yards and i'm like like 30 was my range kind of at that that point in time um you know shooting a amazing darton bow one of the best bows out there but <laughs> um and it was a little too far so it kept feeding and this time he wasn't really going to the main food source he went out to that small alfalfa field and so that the night went on we saw some other deer in that alfalfa field and then that deer kind of turned and started feeding on the edge of it and um so we just kept watching watching and at this point you know the edge of that field probably is 150 200 yards away and so he turns in the woods and in the woods it's kind of a thick so it's so that woods that top of that that patch of timber is kind of kind of selective harvest so you get areas where we took out some hemlocks or some older maples and you got light that penetrated through the forest floor and you got these big briar patches that they kind of feed on as they work out to the main food source. So he was kind of on the edge of this briar patch and that briar patch angled right to me. So he was just slowly poking, just slowly eating and all this. And at this point, I mean, he's moved. He's probably 60 to 50 yards away. He's into the timber, kind of moving my way. So I'm up, I'm ready. And um, I remember dad saying, like, because the deer took us a sweet time to come into us. He's like, this was the most nerve wracking I've ever been. <laughs> like, he's like, this is a four pointer and my heart's just yeah. raging out of my chest. 
And so he works right down to me, right in front of this stump. And it was, I probably could have shot before this, but I don't know, not knowing, but he works his way to about 12 yards. So right here, I pull back the old dart and bow with the aluminum arrows. I, shit, I can't remember what, I think the arrows were 22, 22, 145s or something <laughs> like that. And I, I was telling my dad about this and I'm like, I remember the exact fletching. It was blue, like actual feathers blue. And then the one was uh, the yellow faint vein. And so deer walked right in front of that stump, put it on it, shot whack at this point i don't know my dad would shoot these string trackers <laughs> did you have it one? was it was these it, it, yeah i had one at this time this is what i started with so it went into your stabilizer instead of a stabilizer you put this roll of string yeah it, and you screwed into it and then you tied it to your broad broad it's head. exactly like bow fishing and, for deer it, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i remember shooting this thing poop, it went like it spools out. It just spools and it hits the deer and it just goes off. And then like my spools go on on my, on my thing. It's just, you got a big one going, going, going. And then it stops. So there, the, there, the deer died. And, and that was probably the side note, the first time and the only time that string tracker ever worked. And otherwise after that, when I, had my own mind i'm like this is done yeah, I I was, we're never gonna use i was gonna again. ask you what the efficacy of that piece of equipment was but uh because you need uh, like uh what not, do you need you need a pass through and it doesn't need to like rip on anything or so a lot of times because i remember hunter safety they talked about it must have been a fad back then i don't know but i shot and it ran sometimes it would shoot and it would hit something, you know, it's a tiny little piece of string and it would break off. But then they're like, well, you got the position of where they're going or something. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, my dad missed, he missed this 130 inch eight and it hit the top of his blind and then just nosedived. And he's like, yeah, I'm done. Screw this crap. <laughs> I'm off of it. So I, I joined suit, but yeah. So he piled up on the road and my uncles were hunting and we, Took a nice picture, cleaned up, learned how to gut a deer and brought it in. And there you go. You know, you make mistakes with not knowing what yardage or when to pull back or stuff like that. But I mean, as a first hunter, especially with archery equipment, that that uh, makes it tough. And I mean, it was probably, yeah, it was a great hunt between me and my father, having my dad right behind me, right in the tree, you know, heart beating, my heart beating. That's one thing I remember is just waiting for that deer. He just took a sweet time. My heart was just racing like a no other. And, um, and afterwards too, you know, you, you feel the rush afterwards, but, but yeah, that was my first, uh, Northern North central Wisconsin whitetail. <laughs> and then I was addicted. We got, we got some similarities in our stories there for sure about, um, I think the big one, just, uh, both of our dads were there when it happened which honestly yeah. I feel like is probably pretty common for people with their first kill. But, um, you know, I think they say like getting you like people that even don't even have like historic backgrounds of hunting. It takes multiple times with an individual that knows how to hunt to get them to hunt. 
and then it like they'll retain that from there but just to you know someone oblivious to hunting to jump into it like that's never gonna probably happen maybe oh i think there's people that do it they're few and far between but i was gonna touch on that is to me that would be um I'd be very interested to talk to someone who has the experience of starting hunting all on their own. And the first time they killed something that like the only thing they know is hunters ed reading, looking at YouTube videos and going out there and getting it done for the first time, what that was kind of like. Um, but like, I almost feel, I almost feel bad for them though. I mean, that's on one hand, that would be a pretty big accomplishment to do that all on your own and become proficient and knowledgeable enough to kill something on your own without the help of, you know, maybe some people help you along, but like, I mean, having like the reason I feel bad about that would be like, that was so special to have like the person who is teaching you all these things. I mean, especially, you know, your dad or your parent, Um, but like, I know a lot of people, even like you were saying who it's not their parents, but they have a mentor that's with them the first time that they're doing things. And I feel like that's definitely the way most people do it. Um, you feel pretty, you feel pretty proud of yourself when you, when you get it done. I mean, like, um, there's a lot of different aspects to it. Some people might feel bad to kill something and, you know, might have to deal with that emotional thing or, um, you know, maybe people, I don't, I hope. Maybe people don't feel much anything and they just uh, don't like hunting. That'd be kind of weird to me, but you know. Well, hunting is one of those things, you know. Not everybody's going to treat it the same. Yeah. So, but what I was what I was getting at is like the um, I appreciate having like the person. Both of us in the story had the person who was teaching us and helping us along there exactly when it happened, and I'm really appreciative of my dad being there because I would have probably died back there having pneumonia. not being able to get those deer out but um that that's a real special experience in my opinion like you don't you don't forget that um and uh and then yeah just yeah i feel like that goes into i mean even our first podcast like just having someone there to experience that with you makes it even more gratifying than just being by yourself. Yeah, like the bear hunt plenty of times you and you know myself you're there by yourself but the 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 more or the main memories that's really stick in my head are the ones that I've shared with others. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had multiple with my dad shooting big bucks and stuff like that. I remember almost was crying after I shot a deer. It's like those memories are shared between individuals, and that's what I mean. This podcast is even about too. Yeah, and I would say too though, um, they're definitely different. But I I would feel. I feel very powerful, a uh, very powerful feeling when I'm by myself and there's nobody around and it's just you and that animal in the mountain. And like, it's kind of a, that's like, in my opinion, more of like a spiritual experience almost it's kind of like, you're not even yeah. on this planet. You're just in the realm of like you and this deer and this mountain and like nobody else witnessed what just happened. And it's kind of like, nobody ever will see what happened there, I guess, unless you video, you know, record it. But like, yeah that in itself is a very special thing to me. And I do love my solo hunts because of that. But at the same time, like you were saying, like um, there's something that cannot be matched with meeting up with you or any of my other friends that I've hunted or fished with or hiked with or done whatever. And you have these amazing experiences in the outdoors and then being able to 
recollect and talk about that with somebody else. It just brings life to it. Cause I can tell you about, you know, the story when I was by myself up on a mountain and all this stuff happened and you can picture it and you can see the deer that I killed and you can, you know, be, a, you know, Oh, that was awesome. You know, cheer me on and be like, you know, good story, but it's just different. There's like some type of thing in the air when you're talking about it with somebody else where it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. remember that? Remember that? Yeah. Like, they're both gratifying because yeah. that's the good thing about hunting too is just being by yourself, being one with nature, being what your ancestors used to be, um, eating the animal. And it's that zenful peace versus like a shared, I don't know, memory that you just built. But yeah, both both are great. Yeah, but but I yeah, I really appreciate having my dad there. And that could roll right into what, what are we talking about? Our highs and lows on these kind of things here, getting into hunting. And, yeah, um, we conclude highs and lows and lessons learned. And I think that, um, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think the high, the high for me on that probably was looking over my shoulder and my dad was just like right there. I don't know why he decided to come walk over at that point. Like I said, he had probably just, he was like two minutes before or after he showed up two minutes after I had shot these deer. Like the one was still, you know, sitting right there. <laughs> And yeah, it was, it was kind of weird thinking back on it is like, he just like almost, he was just in the right place at the right time. Like right when it happened, I was just like, here, here, this goes, shoot these deer. And then I'm like, Oh, dad's right there. Almost like, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know that, that communication where it's like, you know, when he was like, what happened? Like what happened? And I'm like, I got two. And it's kind of just like that really excited, like kind of like quiet, like you're, it's almost body language as much as it is, as it is like talking and you can yeah. just feel the excitement, even though, you know, that one deer, he saw the go finish, but um, yeah, that was a high point for sure. Just uh, yeah. I can remember him in his uh, blaze orange one piece thermal and the stocking cap. He probably still orange. use that today, doesn't he? Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I think that was the OG that he had on then, which got pretty worn out. So then he bought two of the same exact thing, brand new. Uh, so that he wouldn't run out the next time too. He's got them for, uh, he's got them for his hunting career now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that is ingrained in my memory. Just the, the really, the rubber sold high insulated laced boots and the onesie orange in the the big old stocking cap. And, oh, and he wore these. Uh, he still wears these huge brown mittens with uh, uh, wool liners in them. So he keeps his hands in mittens all the time. And when there's a deer going to come, he just takes his hands out of the mittens. I was always of the mindset that I want to have more dexterity immediately when the deer's coming mm. in. But so I use the pouch with a hand warmer in it. But um. But yeah, that's just the image in my head right there. Turn around after I shoot these deer, see my dad there and uh, in full northern Wisconsin hunting garb, styling. So uh, what was, we'll, we'll go, I'll say my high, you say your high, and then we can go lows. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just to be kind of the same as you, really. <laughs> um, I feel like you always got to go with the high of just sharing that with your father and all the hard work that. You know, you don't think of it till now, trying to put other hunters on it, the, all the hard work that he had to put in to probably put put you in that situation. And I mean, I was just grateful for almost that scouting. I was telling you about those film cameras and all that stuff. 
feel like that has learned me so much because my dad was a deer freak back then hiking across and not totally into certain areas of public but forest management and stuff and i'm like he you know he's just kind of like me but now he kind of showed me like what to read what tree species just being a good woodsman i feel like that's what helped me big time to be above certain people now but that was pretty much my high i remember yeah looking over at my dad he looked like he I don't know, just had a heart attack or something like that. But like, just so built up. I remember both of us like, yeah, yeah, we just yeah did this. String, string tracker quit. We know what we got. It. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, string tracker. Nice. But yeah, how about your low? I mean, you know, having pneumonia back there wasn't the greatest thing in the world. It made a good story, but um, <laughs> uh, that probably, man. The thing is, like, as time goes on and you have really old memories, you kind of mostly remember the highs. You kind of forget about the lows, right? But I would say probably um, maybe not that specific hunts, but the the year before, I think I missed quite a few deer, and I started to be like, am I, like, the worst shot in the world? Am I ever going to, like, this is just going to have to be pure luck. I need a deer at, like, five yards to be able to hit it with this thing. And um, so then getting two down, making up for lost time, that was that was pretty good. But, yeah, I guess it was, like, uh, I, I, I was so infatuated with being out there and just being in it that that didn't really bug me a whole bunch at that point. But, yeah, definitely I would say that it was kind of like, uh, oh, no, I'm going to switch this. I'm going to switch this. My low, my low was none of my friends at high school caring (laughs) at all. Like, they didn't care. They were mostly like, what is wrong with you? Was AJ and Cam and Matt and all those guys part of this hater group? I didn't didn't start hanging out with AJ, Cam, or Matt until pretty much like junior high school, I think. As a freshman, it was pretty much people were like, what? is wrong with this kid bringing pictures of dead animals you just shot to school yeah <laughs> oh that's yeah that's unfortunate you should have came up to Russell high school i got you would have been i got stopped in the hall by a hall monitor one time because i was wearing a camouflage jacket she found it concerning what? yeah oh, holy I'm cow in the suburbs lost man their, <laughs> lost their disconnect well Different strokes. Yeah. That's nice to, you know, know there's how many ever different uh, demographics that hunt and whatever. Yeah. Well, well, my low, I guess, <laughs> was uh, pretty much letting that deer go. Because I remember that deer walked by at 25 yards and I don't know. Yeah, seeing yard, ranging yardage from 20 feet up is a lot different than on the ground and it just looks so far away. And I remember my dad, I mean, he didn't make, make me feel bad or anything. He's just like, well, that was an opportunity kind of. And I'm like, ah, crap. And then like before I didn't share in the story was that deer kind of came by at 30 and I know I wasn't ready to pull back. And I remember him telling me like, okay, if he comes through that lane, like pull back before, like they get into that because he kind of swiftly moved it in there. I probably wouldn't have shot the 30 anyway, but that was kind of my low was just letting that go. And 
making that mistake, I guess. Yeah. There's not too much low on a first-time hunt with your father. Yeah, there really isn't. It works well, so that's what's tough, yeah. both of our Yeah, scenarios. that's tough, because, like, remembering <laughs> that, because how long ago was that now? That was, shoot, that was, like, 15 years ago. Yeah, I was, I was 12. Yeah. No, yeah, more than 15 shit. years ago. Eight, eight, 18 years ago. 18 Jeez, years old. ago. Um, Holy crap. I just threw out my back. That's how fucking Yeah, but so I'm going to do another audible, I think, here and change uh, tactic talk. Uh, instead of like tactics, what worked on our individual hunt, yeah. let's talk about tactics of how to make someone's first hunt a good hunt or like what we that's, thought yeah. our dads did good. That's, yeah, that's totally what, like a lesson learned of how, yeah, yeah I, you want to go? I, Got one. If you don't, you go okay. first because you went first. I think. On the other ones. Um, I think my dad did a very good job with my first hunt hunts. Um, in focusing on two things, one the process, like you know, gun safety, handling the cold and the elements well. Being being there close, if I was getting too wigged out, but I mean, I, I'm I'm a tough little shit, so I'll sit out there in the cold. But and then also like not putting big expectations on it. He he would actually he would get so excited for me when like I saw a deer, or when like if I heard a turkey gobble, it was like, oh, you saw a deer, like this is great, you know. So it was like everything, every, every the smallest things was like. He big, still does that for us. Oh today. yeah, oh yeah. That's just his personality <laughs> in general, yeah. which rubs yeah. off well on uh, taking someone hunting for the first time. Optimism. Yeah, and then the other part of it, so not not just focusing on the process and being excited about the process and not really about the outcome. Um, I think we we he would always talk. I don't know if this was like intentional or not, but he was always talking about family history of where we were hunting, and I think it was because. I mean, I have a bunch of siblings and he didn't hunt for a while because he started a family. So I think it might have been because he wanted to teach me about how, you know, things were going on in the past and our family hunting there. But also it was kind of maybe him just like remembering all that and saying it out loud for the first time in like a few years, you know, like he hadn't remember. Oh, this is where this happened. And this is where this guy, you know, oh, I remember he said like Illinois Eddie who hunted with us shot this huge buck with a small rack over here. It was like 250 pounds or whatever. <laughs> and, um. So yeah, it was like, I had a sense of place and I had a sense of duty to like do the, do everything correctly. And I didn't have an overarching sense of like, you need to, you know, kill something. It was more like, yeah. we're going to do this and you're going to, you know, you're going to have fun and, and feel good about doing it and feel part of something. And I think that's a good thing to, uh, that's a good attitude to have going in. Yeah. 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 I think my lesson learned or type of you know something to take into account when you're first time hunting is you're gonna make mistakes and i feel like however long i've hunted my father's always been there and it's like i've made just like on this hunt now you know i never really pulled back before that deer was in the in that opening never knew about that now i do even getting your feet set and getting like ready you know and even ranging everything, because now I do it, I'm habitual with that, but like range every little tree around you. So it's like, I don't even have to pick up the range finder. That's one less thing I got to do when it comes to um, getting ready. But I mean, 
I've made mistakes on a lot of deer and my dad's always been there to be like, okay. Like he's put that in my mind. If something doesn't work out, it's because of X, Y, Z. All right. Solve X, Y, Z. And you're going to end up with a deer, you know? And I think it was that just that is like the critically thinking throughout this. So you're going to make mistakes. There's no, yeah. Like you're, you know, there's no pressure on you. Go out there, have fun. It's, um, it's a very, um, you know, good thing to do with all your family and stuff like that. It's generation, generation. You're out there for meat. You're out there to have fun. I mean, there's nothing to lose, but yeah. After, after those mistakes, you can always become a better woodsman, I guess. Yeah. And something, uh, I, uh, there's a couple stories that would be for a whole nother podcast here. Um, but, uh, touch on a couple of those things first of all i was with uh one of my friends on his first mule deer hunt this past fall along with one of my other buddies who's who's a knock em dead hunter and um i had uh killed an elk two pronghorn and a whitetail at that point so i wasn't going to shoot a mule deer unless it was you know a, a huge mule deer so i was basically with my buddy chris um out in central Montana hunting these mule deer and he'd never hunted or he never hunted deer period before, not let alone kill one. And so that was really eye opening to me. And I guess I was trying to be conscious. Hopefully I did an okay job of doing what we were saying. There's like, you know, be more about the process and the experience and like, you know, learning from mistakes. And we made, we made actually the deer really, really poured it to us. They were hard to hunt. It was calm, snowy, like they, they were hard to hunt and it ended up like a buzzer beater buck. It was all three of us at that point. And we were walking back to the truck and ended up killing one right on the way back to the truck when we were about to leave for the three day weekend. But it was really eye opening, and you gotta like you gotta kind of let also new hunters make their own mistakes. Like don't let them make mistakes, but don't let don't let them make mistakes that are dangerous or unethical. But if you're going to blow a hunt, let them make a mistake, you know, like, and especially if it's not feasible, like I, I've had this happen a couple times and um, I don't know if I want to call out cam here, but I was on a, a elk hunt with cam too. And he drew on this elk and he ended up missing it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty far shot and he had actually accidentally ranged wrong. Like he ranged a tree that was closer to us than the elk. But in that situation and in the one where my friend Chris, we were too close to this buck and I probably would have killed it, but he wasn't, you know, experienced. So he didn't want to do like a on the knee neck shot, which is totally fine. fine. And so that, that blew that. And like Cam, he, he was full draw and everything. I wasn't about to whisper in either of theirs ears, like, Hey, you know, like you should probably do this. Cause I didn't want to, I don't want to break their focus. I'm going like, to let them do their own process. Like, I don't think, they're not going to hurt, you know, themselves. Like, I don't think, you know, I don't think anything really bad is going to come out of this. Let someone make a mistake. Like it blew the hunt. That's fine. You got another hunt the next day, but you learn from those mistakes and you got to let someone own it. You can't, you can't make a hunt for somebody. Like you gotta, you can help them along, but you can't make a hunt for somebody. It has to be theirs. Yeah. I think one thing too, to touch on is, uh, bringing new hunters into the woods. I feel like it helps yourself a lot too because a lot of those things that you've now made mistakes and all that stuff um now 
you're seeing them through different eyes. Like they're like you just over the head. Now it's all just normal um, change of pace. It's just normal to go with the flow. And now someone is seeing it through new eyes and it's like, Oh wow. Uh, yeah. And now they're asking all these questions and it's making you a better hunter. So, I mean, that's just, Oh yeah. I mean, what this is about to bring other people in, it helps you, it helps them. It helps us, you know, it's a, it's kind of a family that we're all a part of that partake in this specific sport, yeah. but yeah, you can learn from each other. It doesn't matter if you've hunted for 5 million years or yeah. 30 seconds. And that's the thing is, um, on that mule deer hunt with Chris, I, I enjoyed that almost as much as any other hunt I had this past season, besides probably when I killed that bull elk with my bow, that was pretty sweet. But, um, I mean, it's hard to say you enjoy one more than the other, but it was totally different. Cause I'm, you know, I'm kind of mentoring a little bit, observing, and like you were saying, there are certain things that I just totally don't think about anymore that I had to like, you know, tell him this is like, okay, your scope cover should be off when you're coming over this rise or, okay, we normally walk around without a, a, a shell in the chamber, but there's a deer right over this rise and it's dead calm out here. You need to load your gun below this hill so he can't hear you. Cause if you get to the crest and then you put a shell in, he's going to hear you. So it's like those things I wouldn't think about at all like i just do them but it's interesting now to like think you know try, trying to talk someone through that it makes you realize kind of things you do well and also it could point out something that you need to do better you know like I, a same hunt yeah. i set up on these deer that were coming through and they got our scope shine sun was shining right at us and i didn't really account for that and blew the blew the stock and um so yeah it's like it's different when you're trying to get someone else on an animal and trying to teach somebody and it helps you a whole bunch more too. And it was pretty rewarding for me, uh, to do that. I mean, it was honestly, the way we killed that deer was just pure dumb luck. Either Chris <laughs> or Caleb would tell you that because that was the dumbest deer alive and now, now it's dead. But, um, like it was, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a gimme at the end of the trip, but it was like a really good long hunt where we, he learned a bunch of stuff. I like was learning how to be a little bit more of a mentor and not, you know, just running a gun like I normally do. And yeah, it's, it's super, super cool. And hopefully, um, hopefully I can try to do the same thing with, uh, my girlfriend here coming up on Turkey season and try to just kind of let her, you know, help her out when she wants it and needs it, but kind of let her run the show if she feels comfortable. And, uh, that I feel like that's the best way to get someone turned on to it. You know, I, I think Turkey hunting, you know, this segues right into it. Like Turkey hunting is a great kind of a catalyst sport that just gets you into it. And then you can kind of take it from there. It's, you don't have to worry about scents, all this stuff. And, Kind of just get out there, listen to some gobbles, and you re- try to get you on You really it, learn but... the movement game, though. You cannot move much turkey hunting. Yep, <laughs> no, you cannot move. Yeah. You you got to think, like, okay, what am I going to do when that turkey comes there? Boom, think of all that, get set up, and uh, get ready. But, yeah, I think that's a great, great um, hunt to be in. Just, just yeah. get you into hunting, period, yeah. And go from there. Yeah, well, but, that was... Um... That was uh, each of our first harvests there, and uh... yeah, hopefully you enjoyed. I mean, I would love to hear everybody else's. This is like one topic that I love. Well, I love all topics, <laughs> but this is like especially I feel like important just because talking with everybody because we lose sight sometimes with social media and all that stuff. 
of like why we do it. Like, oh, we want this big buck. No, we got all these traditions and all this stuff that we've got into at a little naive 12 year old or even less now. And I'm like, that's why it's important to uh, sometimes think back. I'm like, what sparked your interest in hunting? What got you into it? What was your first hunt? Because those are memories, hopefully, to live a lifetime for you guys. Yeah, be sure to soak up those mind photos when you're in the moment to call back on later in life. You know, pictures are great, but some of, some of those images I would rather have burned in my head than on a phone or on a camera. <laughs> true, true. But, well, hopefully everybody can maybe get out turkey hunting in a few weeks. Uh, we'll have a next episode, maybe bring in a guest. You guys might be tired of us talking so um <laughs> bringing another another party to talk a little bit but um hope you liked our first stories and it told a little bit about us and what we're about and yeah all right that's the but, podcast go out there and make some stories of your own folks